0: Hello, and welcome to your favorite movie. I'm your host, Evan Kelly. I've always loved movies. I feel they have a unique power that isn't found in other types of media. So I've invited a few of my friends to come and talk about their favorite movies. This isn't a debate. I'm not trying to challenge anyone's rationale or determine the objective greatest movie of all time or anything. My simple hope with these conversations is to begin to reach the heart of what makes films so resonant. My guest today is Blake Altman. Blake is an educator and former scholar of textual studies at Bowling Green State University. One of my favorite pastimes is just saying, Hey Blake, thoughts on... and then the title of a movie. We go way back, and I always appreciate how Blake's opinions are so detailed and thoughtful. As a textual scholar, Blake has years of experience analyzing film, media, and literature. His letterboxed updates are always a delight in the feed. Blake's favorite movie is Martin Scorsese's 2016 religious historical drama, Silence. Drawing on the history of Jesuit priests' ministry to the hidden Christians of 17th century Japan, Silence tracks Father Rodriguez and Father Garupe as they travel to Japan to search for their mentor, Father Ferreira, who is rumored to have apostatized or publicly renounced the Christian faith. They must travel and worship in complete secrecy, for the price of faith is torture and death. Along their harrowing journey, the young priests are given a true test of faith, and the audience is challenged to grapple with the totality of religious persecution, performative religiosity, and the depths of true faith. Silence stars Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, and Liam Neeson as the pivotal priestly trio. All give strong performances, but Garfield stands out as a real masterclass in acting. Despite a claim from the National Board of Review, the American Film Institute, and the Cinematography branch of the Academy, Silence was largely ignored by mainstream audiences. Written with longtime collaborator Jay Cox, Silence perfectly encapsulates late-career Marvel-baiting Scorsese. Out of sync with commercial tastes, but working with non-pareal skill, thematic depth, and emotional resonance. Here is my conversation with Blake Altman. Blake Altman, welcome to the show. Thank you for
1: having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And it is a pleasure to have you. What is your favorite movie?
1: My favorite movie is Martin Scorsese's 2016 film Silence.
0: Silence. Yes, it's a bit of a departure from the crime movies we typically associate with Scorsese, but it's a movie that I very much love as well.
1: I'm I'm glad you love it too because I have a lot to say about this movie. Well, what do
0: you love about Silence?
1: What I love about Silence is the way in which Gorsese is engaging with not just his own religious struggles, but a kind of a universal religious struggle. And it's one that I felt I, I felt very represented by when I first watched Silence. I mean, I am not Catholic. I, I grew up uh, entirely Protestant, Evangelical. For my entire life. But silence, despite largely being about Catholicism, I feel can kind of be used as an example of what a lot of people of faith struggle with at one point in their life. It was just the kind of thing that I never expected to see put to the screen at any point. The feelings I had, the the difficulties I faced, the, the debates that I have had with people over it. It was all there. And... Yeah, like I said, it's it's a little scary to feel seen by something, especially when you never expected to be, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. I feel like there are certain movies that have given me that feeling. Actually, specifically, First Reformed gives me that feeling. And it's yes. interesting that it's another movie that's about really deep spiritual turmoil. And I, I go over it in my head over and over, trying to articulate why. I respond so well to seeing someone struggle with faith on screen.
1: Is is there any way that you have thought to put it? it just in regards to like seeing someone struggle with faith?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think that we are kind of having similar experiences myself with first reformed and you with silence. This conversation is about silence. So mm-hmm. how does the depiction of inner turmoil as it relates to, Religion and religious expression. How does that make you feel?
1: Well, can I give a bit of background first? Yes, please. Go uh, ahead. Put my mindset in place. When I was growing up, my family began attending a a Presbyterian church in the greater Toledo area. I don't want to say the name on here just in case it ever gets back there, but then again, if they hear it, they'll know who they are. So, anyway, (laughs) it was a Presbyterian church and my dad was one of the first members of it when it got launched. We didn't even have a building for the first few years. We were renting other church buildings. We were with this church for, I want to say, close to a decade. And during that time with that church, we became part of a community that was accepting and warm. It was like one giant family. And we were involved with this church heavily. We were having... Bible studies in our home two times a week. We were attending other Bible studies two times a week. we go to church on Sunday, and then we would go to a Thursday night service. We would be regularly engaging with other members of the church. It became such an important part of our lives that my dad, naturally, he decided that he wanted to carry on in the ministry as well, and that was when he decided to become a minister, which he still is to this day when he became a pastor and got his own call to a church in napoleon where my napoleon ohio where my family is now we ended up having to leave that church that we had been with for over a decade when we left i think we had hoped that we would be able to still maintain that sense of community that we had held with this group of people for so long and it's very very unfortunate for me to say this, but we were essentially cut off from this group once that happened.
0: I'm so sorry to hear that.
1: I I, thank you uh, because it's something that to this day we have trouble talking about. I mean, I had a conversation with my own father just very recently where he finally put to words something that had never been said about us leaving this church. He said to me that the loss of community, the, the, Death of that community, if you will, hurt worse than anything he had ever felt before. Yeah. Losing that sense of community, of connection to something that drove your spiritual life for so long, you end up looking around and wondering is there more to this? Is this all there is? So I spent a good number of years my late years in high school and my early years in college kind of stepping away from god entirely i i kind of felt that disconnect losing having that disconnect from a community that kind of ushers you and supports you in your spiritual walk which uh, which god loved the people in napoleon but we did not have the same kind of community there Mm -hmm. i mean it was a small town in ohio we were outsiders. We had only been living there a couple of years as opposed to people who have been living there since like World War I. Like, <laughs> it's, it, was very, it was a very different experience and it simply, we, we simply could not have that same level of community there. And with that loss, I found myself wondering like if God was something that was worth pursuing, if there is no sense of community, of connection with it. Flash forward to 2016. I am basically a militant agnostic at this point. And I watch Silence. And I want to preface this by saying that when I heard about Silence, I was extremely skeptical. How come? Because it is a movie about the persecution of Christians. And in the world of evangelical Christianity, that is a narrative that is repeated ad nauseum by pretty much everyone there. They'll talk about oh everyone is persecuted for being a Christian. Being a Christian is your is is so hard in the United States today. Everything Starbucks do,
0: made their cups red.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's all stems from this weird idea that Christianity is somehow the underdog, that evangelical Christianity is constantly under attack. So when I hear that Martin Scorsese is making a movie about Christians being persecuted, I get nervous because the evangelical world absolutely loves to take that narrative and run with it. And I fully expected this movie to be one of those where they bus in church groups to boost ticket sales and that kind of thing, to, to fully enforce that narrative, you know? Mm-hmm. It didn't happen for that movie. It didn't come out in theaters near me. And I ended up not seeing it for at least a year, year and a half after it was out until I finally saw a, a DVD copy at my local library. I brought it home, I put it in, and I got fully sucked into the world this movie created, or at least the world it represented. And I, I was sitting there watching it, and my wife, she did not enjoy the movie. She, was, she thought it was very boring, and I, she actually left to go do something else while I was watching it, and uh, while she was in the other room... I, I basically was crying in front of the TV <laughs> because the struggle of Andrew Garfield's... Rodriguez? Rodriguez, yeah, 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 Rodriguez. The struggle he goes through in that film as he weighs the tenets of his faith with the world around him, I felt myself there. Hmm. I felt him asking a lot of the questions I had asked myself before. Do I believe this because it's right or because I want people or I want to look right in front of other people? Like, am I doing this for my own benefit or is it my own pride driving my decisions regarding faith? Because the struggles he goes through, I mean, he is challenged with this idea that creating this community, this connection of this community of Christians in Japan where it is not welcome. He is basically faced with the fact that if he does this, he is dooming these people. Mm -hmm. to suffering to persecution for the rest of their lives it's why a ferrera ended up renouncing his faith in front of everybody because he was not going to allow his faith to be a source of suffering for others and it's eventually the same sort of decision that rodriguez has to make for himself as well but then we get to the ending of the film we get to that ending where rodriguez has After struggling for so long, as he looks down upon that depiction, he hears the voice of Jesus giving him permission to step on it. And so he does. And then he's allowed to live in the country. He takes a wife. He checks to make sure Christian influences aren't being brought into Japan. He renounces his faith publicly. He is no longer a priest. But by letting go of his pride his this his ideas of his own faith. He has sacrificed so much. Then later, when he dies, his wife is allowed to place that offering and she puts a tiny little crucifix in there. And I'm telling you, that moment broke me because it made me face something that I had understood about myself. Rodriguez lived... He did not live his life as a Christian after that. He sacrificed his faith and his beliefs publicly for the sake of preventing suffering for others. And he basically disconnected himself from his faith in almost every way but one, internally. Mm -hmm. So in the end, he may not have lived his life the way that he thought he was supposed to. He may have acted as though his faith was gone. He may have lived his life as though his faith was gone but it wasn't gone. It was still there. And it was entirely between him and God and no one else. And that was the moment that made me realize, watching it myself, after years of basically, like I said, being agnostic and fervently agnostic at that, that I had to admit to myself that my faith was still there. It wasn't gone. It's disconnected from my life. It is deeply internalized it might not be it might not be as represented in my life as others might think it needs to be but it is there it isn't gone and it will still be there years later i like i said that moment this movie didn't just make me feel represented but it made me accept something about myself that i had really been trying to not think about for so long in this way this movie is extremely important to me in a way that is really really hard to to quantify
0: i think that's that's such a wonderful story i think that that is so powerful when film can get us to confront things that maybe have been buried deep within us and it sounds like that's the experience that you had with silence
1: it very much is
0: Blake, what do you find most memorable about Silence?
1: I think the most memorable, I already mentioned the scene at the end when uh, Rodriguez has died and they it pans onto his hand where you see the crucifix clutched there in his dead hands. The moment that also stands out to me is the Inquisition. I think a lot about the Inquisition scene a lot where the Inquisitor, has him and these other christians you know locked up he brings out uh ferreira who tells him why he recanted his own faith and i remember watching that scene and just thinking to myself like asking my asking rodriguez like almost entreating him like why can't you just do what they ask You know, it's, it's, it's a moment of frustration, but also a moment of empathy and understanding because I, I fully understand why he refuses to deny his faith. At the same time, there is this understanding that while you might say it and you might not mean it, they might not know that, but God certainly will. Mm-hmm. You know? So as a result, that moment just kind of stands out to me. The whole sequence is just so both frustrating and terrifying at the same time.
0: There is this absolutely compelling contradiction within Rodriguez because it takes him so long to finally renounce his faith outwardly, but he doesn't have the same trepidation about others doing the same. Anytime that another Christian is suffering, he says to them either directly or kind of from a distance where he's watching please just just recant it'll be okay save yourself he understands on some level that it is better to stay alive than to make this outward show of faith but i think in addition to him being prideful and having this outward faith that he values so much it also is his identity that he has to sacrifice yes, because in publicly recanting he has to give up the priesthood and that's his entire identity father rodriguez and i think that that's much more difficult to part with but i do also like the way that this movie emphasizes the importance of private faith over ostentatious displays of faith
1: yes it's it's one of the things that i i Regularly come back to as like a really reassuring like statement from somebody like Scorsese. I mean, this is a guy where Catholicism plays heavily into a lot of his films, and he still identifies as a Catholic to this day. But the fact that like between this Last Temptation of Christ, uh, even Kundun, there are they are all about people who are struggling with their faith and in the end kind of come to a determination that their faith is personal and it does not require the validation of anything outside of that.
0: Why does that theme resonate so deeply with you?
1: The movie getting me to acknowledge that my faith still existed when I didn't want to admit it kind of made me realize that my relationship with God needed to be more clearly defined. And right after the movie basically ripped me open and forced me to confront that, it also provided a framework in a way. I, I mean I have I had spent so many years of my early life believing that without faith without support, faith without that, faith without regular study, faith without constant prayer and asking for forgiveness of my sins. A faith like that is super important to a lot of different people, but in the end, I don't feel like I did not feel like that was my connection to god so when movies like silence make the claim that like faith is deeply personal and things like that i i have to agree because my faith is deeply personal
0: and i think that that does take a lot of soul searching to arrive at right we all want to believe that we are these little autonomous puppets and we can kind of wander around and do whatever but it's actually really difficult to have confidence in your opinions and your beliefs and your values, if you don't have some sort of, some sort of measuring stick against which to compare. And within, I think a lot of more hardline evangelical Christianity, that is the only message you get. You have to be throwing yourself on the ground at all hours of the day in order to prove you're a true christian and i i certainly don't believe that and i my faith is very important to me and i do identify as a christian that's part of why i love silence so much is because it offers an alternative right It it shows that god's love exists outside of all of the performativity of all of the vitriol of the modern culture war some people believe that that relationship still can be very private and personal when other people believe something it's not necessarily going to guarantee that it's right but if you see a belief that you hold endorsed by someone else someone you can tell who's put a lot of thought into it mm-hmm. it gives you more confidence in holding that belief yourself. And I think that that emotional experience of maybe feeling like, Hey, I'm not so alone is one of the most powerful things that film can do.
1: Absolutely. I could not agree more. It's, and it it is interesting. You bring up like the measuring stick idea. I, I think that it's something that has kind of become a defining feature of a lot of evangelical Protestant theology especially in the United States. I, it, it might be true elsewhere, but I can really only speak to the American experience. Mm-hmm. It seems like, I mean, every almost every church I went to uh, when I was a kid almost always had a point where when you are discussing sin and what is right or wrong, you would always end up comparing to someone else. Uh, I had one pastor once compared uh, how the Baptist belief is very different from the Lutheran belief because the Lutherans Mm. are wrong or, you know, every single Protestant church will go on and on and on about how Catholicism is wrong. Uh, (laughs) There are always sinners out there who just live in sin and don't, and don't change their ways and don't ask for forgiveness. Don't, you don't want to be like them. Don't be like them. It all becomes a point where it is instead of be like, instead of do this, it is don't be like that hmm When your when your faith ends up being defined by what other people aren't, it ends up just being kind of a very negative thing overall. Like it is a instead of you building building your worldview around what you do believe, you are considering yourself better than someone else because of what you don't.
0: Yeah, and I think structuring your worldview that way, the most tragic thing it does is that it makes you look for villains in your fellow human beings yes and that's not what christ was about as christ was hanging on the cross he said of the people who crucified him who he could have made the ultimate villains as they were literally taking his life he said father forgive them they know not what they do
1: exactly
0: that is the christian thought i think is more christ-like is more compassionate. That strain of thinking is what we see on display in silence.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's kind of one thing. I mean, I disagree with my own, my own dad and uh, his so he's a minister in the Reformed Church right now. And uh, I disagree with him on a lot of things about theology things are kind of, that are kind of awkward to debate with him. But one thing he has always stressed in all of our time of growing up and attending different churches is that if your faith is not driven by the love of Christ, if it is driven by anything other than love, it's not, a, it's, it's not worth having.
0: Mm.
1: And it's, it's funny to me that we can disagree on so much about that, but that core tenet, that belief that you need to base your faith in love has remained, even after even after I've, I've basically put off so much else from the church, the idea that you need to base your relationship with God on love. And I still do. I feel as though my faith can be used to help people and to try and make the world better than it was than when I first came into it.
0: Absolutely. I have no doubt that that's true, Blake, and I'm glad, I'm very glad to hear it. So, Blake, what else do you love about Silence?
1: It's a beautiful film. Gorgeous cinematography. It it's manages to make the, this feudal era Japan look both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. But it, isn't, it doesn't make it look like some dangerous other world like so many other films might do, where, you know, a heathen nation overrun by savages, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that. It would be very, very easy to make this kind of movie and make the Japanese government and the samurai look like monsters. This movie actually manages to, it makes it very clear that they are, you know, they are humans. This is a human conflict.
0: Yeah. I think that it does depict that Japanese regime is very brutal because I mean, take out the context of it being Christians persecuted by Buddhists, any sort of religious persecution where someone is murdered for their faith is really bad. And I I don't think the movie shies away from that. But to your point, it is absolutely true that he doesn't show them as doing it out of ignorance or backwardness. There are such brilliant scenes where Rodriguez is talking to in a way, the inquisitor, and they're having these sort of philosophical sparring matches. And we know that the Japanese, are just as intelligent as the europeans we know that they are very thoughtful and self-interested and like you said their humanity is presented as equal to that of the portuguese even Mm -hmm. if their methods are quite violent
1: Yes. The, the thing about Silence too that gets me is, I, this is not a theme that Martin Scorsese was trying to interrogate. To be abundantly clear before I say this, you are correct that this film depicts the Japanese regime as brutal. They are brutal. They are torturing and killing people for their beliefs, which is wrong on every level. Part of the reason that the Japanese government even did that is because Christian missionaries were often the forefront of a colonial machine that moved into a lot of different countries. It started with Christian missionaries. They would spread Christian doctrine, but then they would spread other doctrine. People would become more accepting of American or other, or in this case, it could even be British or other colonial power. It could very well undermine the government as a result. And the Japanese government, recognizing that, decided to spare no quarter, and they reacted to it brutally and horribly and with evil efficiency. But again, I I want to be very clear, this is not me endorsing the slaughter of Christians by the Japanese government. I I do not endorse or condone the killing of Christians by the Japanese government.
0: I want to know what you make of Kachichiro as a character. He's initially the sort of translator or guide that takes... Rodriguez and also Garupe, played by Adam Driver, my boy. He is presented as someone who denies his faith as well, but he really is a Christian. He saw his whole family murdered for their beliefs, but he was sort of the one who gave it up, but he asked for forgiveness. And then he, throughout the movie, there's this cycle of Kachichiro betraying Rodriguez and turning him over to the Japanese authorities, and then asking for forgiveness again and again. What do you make of him?
1: You know, Kichijiro is a very interesting character because I do feel like, again, because Martin Scorsese is such a talented filmmaker, he is able to portray these people as much more than just a one-sided foil for another character or, you know, a plot device given form. Kichijiro is very interesting because he is a guy that... He regularly claims to have renounced his faith, but I think he and Rodriguez share something very similar where neither of them fully lose it. Kichijiro was a guy who heard the message of Christianity, was deeply touched by it, and devoted his life to it, and all that did was bring him suffering. Even with all of that suffering and and the loss of his family and his descent into drunkenness and all of that, It never goes away because I think deep down the message of the faith still touched him deeply. And that's not something you can get rid of even when in the face of horrible adversity, the fact that after everything that happened to him and he still asked for forgiveness from Rodriguez and he still carried around the little religious amulet and stuff just indicates to me that that suffering does not kill faith in the way that the Japanese government had hoped. I'm not sure that any characters actually fully renounce their faith. I'm not even sure that Ferreira did in the long run, although I do think the movie leaves it a bit ambiguous.
0: Well, I think that the moment that's kind of the tip off on Ferreira is when he and Rodriguez are inspecting the Christian imagery that's being imported into the country, and he refers to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and mm. Rodriguez kind of does a double take. He's like, "Wait, you said our Lord." And Ferreira says, "I doubt it, but he definitely said that." I think that that's the symbol that he too is one of those who is keeping the faith
1: silently. You you grew up Christian too. I'm sure you heard. I'm sure you heard this little light of mine all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all based on the proverb where you're not where they tell you not to hide your faith under under a bushel and to allow it to flow out into your everyday life. But in this case, these are people who are directly faced with the fact like you need to put it, you need to hide it away. Mm -hmm. You must, or people will suffer as a result. It's, it's a challenge to a a thing that is kind of taken for granted. I think at least in American evangelical circles, because while they like to pursue a persecution complex where, I'm not allowed to make my football team pray before a, a game now. What <laughs> has happened to this country versus, you know, people who are actually very, very seriously and severely suffering for their faith. Yeah, versus like Uyghur I Muslims, been, yeah. Yeah, versus being like mildly inconvenienced by, yeah. by
0: it. And that's what I think the narrative significance of the film is, is it's about Rodriguez having a dogmatic and shallow understanding of faith as being outwardly performative. And in the end, he learns it's not that at all. It's about mm-hmm. those quiet moments with you and God. And to loop back to Kichichiro a little bit, I think that the way that Rodriguez learns all of that is through a real test of faith. And I think part of the test of that faith is challenging him to embrace the radical forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And Kichichiro is the one who tests him because you, you just have no faith that this guy is ever going to actually change his ways, right? He is yeah. an inveterate sellout, yet Rodriguez, even though you can tell he starts to get frustrated, he still forgives. And I think mm-hmm. that I find a lot of beauty in that as well.
1: Yeah, I think that that's kind of an illustration of what what exactly Rodriguez's faith is for him. He sees it. He, I mean, he is approaching it from a sense of love. But I think in the way that also makes, is what makes it so difficult for him to deny it because he sees his yeah. faith as an extension of love. And he's horrified that what he sees as an extension of love would be used as the opposite of that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point.
1: I guess it just kind of illustrates that if you don't have your faith tested and challenged, how will you know how strong it really is?
0: Yeah, and I think that that faith test can come in a lot of ways. I think that's probably what you experienced when you lost that faith community and had to kind of strike out in a new environment in Napoleon. I don't want to speak for you, but does that sound accurate?
1: No, I would say that that's incredibly accurate. It was a test. It was a test of like my whole family's faith, basically. How much of it was couched in the fact that we were doing things for the church seven days a week, and then suddenly we no longer are. Yeah. We, we had to ask ourselves, does our faith stand up to that? I mean, for my father, obviously it did. Uh, my mom, it, it also stood for her. But I know for me, my faith really took a beating.
0: What else about Silence do you find so appealing? On top
1: of everything else, I think that Silence is a really interesting insight into Martin Scorsese himself. He is already an acclaimed filmmaker with a career spanning several decades at this point, and has done so much for film as a medium in his years as a as a filmmaker it's really interesting to see the kinds of stories the kinds of narratives that he values and he feels are important to share everyone knows him for his gangster films once you get beyond those he's also made a lot of personal films about faith and disillusionment and you know the kinds of struggles that you come up that you reach in your life when you've reached a point where you you don't know what's ahead or don't know what else to do. I mean, I just, I just watched just a few days ago, I watched bringing out the dead for the first time, which is, it's not a religious film, but I do feel it is somewhat spiritual because Nicholas cage is an EMT who has seen the worst that humanity has to offer in the people that he has had to help save and the people he couldn't save. And is just so tired and burnt out and doesn't know how to go on. Martin Scorsese has so many films like this. I mean, Last Temptation of Christ, he asks himself, what did Jesus think about everything that happened to him? In Kundun, he asks, like, what does the Dalai Lama think about being the Dalai Lama? He is clearly somebody who has faith on his mind very often. And so he uses the money from his very popular gangster pictures and things like that to make these deeply personal films about internal struggles with faith and the world. And I find it just endlessly fascinating to see the ways in which this now, uh, how old is he now? He's, he's gotta be almost 80, right?
0: I think he's probably about 435 years old.
1: Okay. Yes. (laughs) A 435 year old kid from Brooklyn (laughs) (laughs) who, uh, who has spent who has spent years in the church and has spent years with his own Catholic faith, but has clearly never just been content.
0: Why do you find that so interesting, the overarching understanding of Scorsese's filmography?
1: Because in the long run, I think that there aren't that many people making movies like that.
0: I agree with that.
1: You, of course, mentioned First Reformed, which is a, a phenomenal example of this kind of thing. And that is directed by Paul Schrader, a contemporary and regular collaborator of Martin Scorsese.
0: He wrote Taxi Driver.
1: Yeah. And in fact, Bringing Out the Dead, he wrote that too. Oh, did he really? That's cool. He did actually. I haven't seen that one. I'd highly recommend it. I think you'd enjoy it. Movies that are examining that kind of internal struggle are very few and far between these days. You definitely won't see them at your multiplex. The ones that do don't tend to get a lot of attention because... and. I'm going to turn into an old geezer for a second and say that I feel like a lot of audiences don't want movies that are going to make them confront aspects of themselves. I I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say, but I do think when the average moviegoer goes to the movies, they aren't looking for an interrogative experience.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's kind of where Scorsese's commentary about the Marvel movies comes from, right? He said that those are those are like theme park rides they're just supposed to be really thrilling visceral experiences and he draws the line in stating that cinema is about human emotion and you know sometimes you get that i think i actually think that infinity war is fantastic cinema doctor strange in the multiverse of madness no not so much
1: no, yeah. I'd, it, Martin Scorsese got so much heat for that statement, but it's only because people were deliberately misunderstanding him. He wasn't even putting them down, or he, it wasn't even meant to be derogatory. He was saying that they have a place in the world of film. His only issue was with the fact that the theme park rides are all you can get made these days. Yeah. And that's where the issue lies, because... In the midst of the theme park rides, you should also be able to have personal and emotional experiences.
0: Blake Altman, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: It was a pleasure, Evan. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Throughout this series,
0: we've been exploring what makes film so resonant. After this, our final conversation, I'd like to pose two guiding questions. First, why is film superior to other types of content? On one level, film is the best multi-sensory art humans have yet created. Blake appeals to the visual beauty of silence. This echoes Pete's praise of American beauty. TV no longer looks cheap, but true cinematographic artistry is still accomplished in film. Another selling point for film that I keep coming back to is its ability to convey profound thematic depth in a self-contained package. Blake and I were able to dissect Silence's nuanced arguments about performative faith for a while. Without the magic of editing, the discussion could have been much longer, I assure you. This was also a huge selling point for Luke in his love of hoop dreams, and Derwin with Stranger Than Fiction. It came up in conversation with Spencer, Dylan, Jared, and Max as well. Throughout the 20th century and beyond, The medium of film has found purchase among serious artists making bold claims about society and the human condition. And you don't have to binge a hundred episodes to find the payoff. The second clarifying question I'd like us to consider is, within the broad universe of cinema, what movies are best? This is where I've found the dialogue between different interviews so invigorating. Maybe the chief commonality. Is that people respond to films with which they have a personal connection? Blake was able to see his own internal struggles with faith externalized in silence, which touched him to his core. He said, I felt myself there. We also saw personal connections with Derwin's identification with Harold Crick, Joe's love of food, and John's family connection to the Princess Bride. I've also come to understand that film evokes great emotion. Blake speaks to crying while experiencing the journey of silence. Corey called Blue Velvet intoxicating. Even laughter can be a strong emotion, as demonstrated when discussing comedies with Sherelle and Max. At their best, good films can help us work through complex issues both personal and societal. For Blake silence made him face the persistence of his private faith he says it made me accept something about myself this connection to identity reminds me of spencer using young adult as an anchor in a transitional time in his life i understand that not every film can be truly transformative but those that are have an incalculable impact on our lives perhaps more than anything I was so glad that Blake and I were able to discuss faith on film. We had a lovely discussion about rejecting performative religiosity in favor of personal spirituality. As I've done further reflection on silence and my own relationship to it, I've wanted to also say I love how it makes the argument that God's silence should not be mistaken for God's absence. In my own life... There have certainly been times where I've felt as though my prayers have not been answered, that I've been forsaken and left alone on this cold, uncaring rock. But when Father Rodriguez is at his breaking point, and finally hears the voice of God, it helps me to believe as well. Cognitively, I know that it's fiction, but it still helps me believe. Such is the magic of cinema. This series as a whole has done a lot to help me clarify my own thinking about the movie First Reformed, which may well be my favorite. Another religious drama, First Reformed uses the narrative of broken priest Ernst Toller, played by Ethan Hawke, to probe the fundamental duality of hope and despair. This resonated with me at a time in my life where I felt my own hope overwhelmed by despair. I can't say I've found another medium willing to tackle matters of faith with as much depth and sensitivity as film. I have no doubt the first reformed coming into my life when it did improved my existence. I don't think I can discount the salience of this revelation. I once read David Ehrlich's review of I Can Only Imagine. He panned the film, writing in part, "Art can be affirmation, but affirmation cannot be art. I've always hated that review. The film is not beyond criticism by any means, but his central premise is achingly reductive. Art requires depth of feeling, and affirmation is nearly impossible to top. At the same time, I realize not everyone feels this way. Film is generous enough to accommodate all, Maybe the first half of Ehrlich's ill-fated quip has some merit. Art can be affirmation. We as the audience have the privilege of imbuing films with our own thoughts and feelings. That personal connection transcends all else. Your favorite movie was produced and edited by me, Evan Kelly. Logo designed by Walker Kelly. Music by Morgan Bennett. Special thanks to Lindsay Kelly and all of the guests who made this show possible. Going on this journey with all of you has meant a great deal to me. Again, thank you.